Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, does, he doesn't mince words. There's no story about Jesus as a baby. He's like, I'm going to get you introduced to Jesus and start telling you what he's doing right away. So, like, Mark doesn't mince words. He's not fluffy. There's uh, no poetry. There's not a lot of reference to the Old Testament. It's like, let's just get you guys to what matters. So, just in the first chapter of Mark, um, Jesus announces, we get the we get introduced to John the Baptist, and then we see Jesus was baptized. Then we see Jesus led into the wilderness to be tested. Still in the first chapter, Jesus announces the good news, which is that the kingdom of God is here. Um, he calls his first disciples. He begins his ministry. Mark records still, just in the first chapter, that Jesus is teaching in the synagogues, driving out demons, and healing the sick. Throughout Mark, and through most of the Gospels, Jesus is often interacting with three different groups of people. One were the religious elite at the time, the religious leaders. The Bible calls them, refers to them as Pharisees. So when I use that word today, we're, we're thinking about those religious leaders, the religious elite group. Then there's this another group of really unique people that we... Um, read are called the disciples. Those are the people that are the followers of Jesus. And then this third group, which we could just throw in everybody else into group number three, and often it is like everybody else in big, huge groups, big crowds. So those are the three groups of people that we're going to look at today. <clears throat> and I, I'm interested to see and hear what we can learn about how those different groups of folks approach Jesus and about how Jesus then approaches them as well. So if you are following along in Mark, uh, we'll be in chapter 3. And thank you, Kirk. It's up on the uh, screen if you don't have a Bible with you. Another time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then he asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, he said to the, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So this first group of people that we're going to look at today and how they approach Jesus is the Pharisees. And right out of Scripture we see they were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely. And it's not Jesus' first interaction with the Pharisees. He is familiar with their scheme and what is going on. They approach him oftentimes with questions about what happens if 
this happens or what happens if that happens. And they're not really interested so much in learning the truth as they are interested in causing Jesus to make a mistake, to trip him up in some way so that he would teach something that was contradictory to God and they could say, you are not who you say you are. We are going to crush your ministry now. These are the kind of people that Jesus was dealing with when he was dealing with the Pharisees, most often. Not all, but most. So we deal with people like that in our lives too, don't we? Like we know people, unfortunately, that are just ready to criticize. They're they're ready to critique. They're ready for you to make a mistake so that when you do, they can pounce on you with a correction and maybe even a little snide remark. Those people aren't always easy for us to deal with. If we're really honest, sorry, if I'm really honest, you can decide for yourselves if this is true about you. If I'm really honest about myself, there are times when I am this critical Pharisee type of guy. Like, I don't like to admit it, but when I'm up here, I just got to be honest. So sometimes I I like to critique. Sometimes uh, it's not like I'm trying to do it, but as soon as somebody makes a mistake, I'm like, oh, no, no, that's not right. It's supposed to be this. I don't know why we do that. Maybe it props us up and we feel better about ourselves. I'm not really sure. I know that I don't necessarily like that part of me, but that's just there still right now. but hopefully it won't be for much longer. <clears throat> how does Jesus approach the Pharisees? So this is, how Jesus, this is how the Pharisees approach Jesus, right? And let's look at the way that Jesus approaches these guys. Scripture says he looked around at them in anger and was deeply distressed at their, at their stubborn hearts. So what I want to say about that is let's not dismiss the idea that Jesus was angry. I know we don't like to do that necessarily. We like to keep Jesus in the loving box and keep him in this comfortable zone where, you know, he doesn't get angry, but the truth is in Scripture, Jesus gets angry. Okay? So instead of getting to know somebody that's not real. Let's get to know the real Jesus. Let's, in this instance, get to know why Jesus was angry. Let's understand where his anger is coming from instead of just dismissing it. Because I would contest that the anger that Jesus feels in that moment is a lot like the anger that a parent would have for a child when they know that that child is not just misbehaving, but like heading down a path that they know they never taught them, that they know they never intended for them to go down, and the parent knows this is not going to end well for you. The anger that a parent feels towards a child's choices does not discount that parent's love for their child, right? There's some parents in the room that could possibly nod to that. Like, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love these guys. In fact, it probably means that he loves them so much that he's angry about what they're doing. 
and how they're responding to him. These were the Jews. The religious leaders were the Jewish people. All throughout Scripture up to this point, these were the people that were chosen by God. These were the folks that were supposedly like worshiping God, right? And here is God standing before them in the flesh and they don't see him and they don't get it. And they're headed down a really bad road. Like denial of Jesus ends in spiritual death and he knows that's where they're headed. And so he's angry at the choices that they're making because he knows where those choices and those decisions are going to lead him. And not only are they criticizing him, but the Pharisees, I would say, go so far as to have contempt for Jesus. It says, once that he spoke to them, that then the Pharisees went out and began to plot how they might kill Jesus. Okay, so for some of the kids that are in the room, if you go out today and start hanging out with your friends and plot how you're going to kill your parents and your parents find out about it, they're going to be angry at you. Okay? You can expect it. And I think it's a legitimate thing to be angry about to know that someone that you care for deeply is planning your demise or trying to. So yeah, Jesus was angry. Good. Right? Let's look at the second group. Next few verses in Mark, starting uh, chapter 3, verse 7. It says, Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. And they heard about all he was doing. Many people came to him from Judea and Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So about the impure spirits and why Jesus won't let them make any announcements, that's a whole nother sermon. So stick to what's right before that for a minute. The word was out about Jesus. News about Jesus and what Jesus was doing was traveling through the entire region. In chapter 1, there's this story about Jesus going to Peter's mother-in-law's house and healing her of an illness. And it says there that at sundown, the entire town arrived at her door. The entire town showed up. That's a lot of people. So imagine for a second, all the people in Oconomowoc start hearing things about what Jesus is doing, maybe from us. They start seeing the things that Jesus is doing in people's lives and they want to get closer to Jesus and they want to know Jesus. And all the people in Oconomowoc start showing up at the doors of our churches. That would be awesome 
You guys, awesome. We would be, I'm not talking about Whitestone. I'm talking about every church in Oconomowoc, there would be no room out into the parking lots. There's plenty of people. But it's not just Oconomowoc. It's spreading out through the entire region, right? So it's Wisconsin and Minnesota and Michigan and Indiana and Illinois and Ohio. It's like the whole region starts showing up to hear and find out what is the deal with Jesus. That'd be incredible. Amen? Let me share with you what jumped off the page for me a couple weeks ago. Months ago, probably by now. <clears throat> the scripture there says, For he had healed so many that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. So the version that I happen to be reading that particular morning reads like this. Everyone who had something wrong was pushing and shoving to get near and touch him. Anybody in here besides me have something wrong? I mean, haven't we all had something wrong at some point, right? There's a whole crowd of them back there. They got both their hands up. Thanks for your honesty. I love it. Everyone was showing up who had something going on because they had heard about what Jesus was doing for people and they were pushing and shoving their way to get close to him, to get near him so that they could touch him. And it's not an exaggeration where it says we're pushing forward to touch him. There's a reason that Jesus was telling his disciples things might get really crazy. There's a ton of people here. There might be more coming. Get a small boat ready. I don't want to get crushed. Right? My time has not yet come. I don't want to get crushed by a crowd. That really spoke to me. That people were showing up and pushing and shoving their way to get near to Jesus, to touch him. I was like, man, what if my life looked like that? What would my life look like if I was pushing and shoving my way to get near Jesus so I could touch him? What would your life look like if you were pushing and shoving your way to get near Jesus? So, I had a, this is a little bit of a sidebar, but I'm going to do it anyway. I was really blessed this year to be able to go to a couple of concerts where there's like one person on stage and just a tons, thousands of people there to see him, right? One was at Summerfest and one happened to be, I got to see Lionel Richie in Las Vegas. It was awesome. <laughs> awesome. But I'm at the age now where, like, when you go to a concert, you buy a ticket, you get an assigned seat, you go to that seat, you kind of sit. Sometimes you stand up and do this little thing every once in a while, you know, but you're pretty, like, you're going to keep it square most of the time. And that's not what it was like when we were younger, and some of the folks in here are younger, and so you might be doing this right now, like... When we were younger and going to concerts at Summerfest or wherever, it was like we didn't have money to buy tickets to the good show. So we were like trying to get in to see any of these side acts that were going on on all those stages. And I remember like pushing and shoving and sneaking and like waiting for the person like two rows up to have to go to the bathroom. So when they did, you were like, ha ha, yeah, 
now I'm closer. I mean, that, think about, like, that's kind of what's going on. People are maneuvering and just waiting for other people to get out of their way because they want to get near to Jesus. And it's not, it, it sounds simple, but it's not that easy, right? Because what kind of stuff do we have going on in our lives? Work, kids, family, school, sports, friends, colleagues, neighbors, Bible studies, discipleship classes, life groups. I mean, it's not bad stuff necessarily, but we have a ton of activity going on in our lives and sometimes it feels like we do need to like push and shove our way to get near to Jesus. And you know what? If that stuff is an obstacle for you, as it is sometimes for me, I want to encourage every one of us, let's do it. Let's push and shove that stuff out of the way because it might not be bad, but it's not as important as him. And here's what's a little bit different and, and a huge um, blessing for us. Blessing's not the word I was looking for, but it is a blessing. Like what the crowds had then was the real, physical, seen, human Jesus who was at one place at a time. So they did have to go wherever he was physically. And there were mass amounts of people that they had to push and shove their way through in order to see him. And we have the luxury... Sometimes it's challenging. Sometimes we don't really comprehend it. But it is a blessing. We have the unseen, Jesus. Yes, that's tough for us sometimes to remember that he's here, but he's here, right? Because there's 100 churches in Waukesha County where people are sitting there right now meeting with Jesus, just like we're meeting with Jesus, and he's not just at churches. He's at coffee shops and kitchen tables and living rooms and anywhere and everywhere he wants to be. We don't have to fight a crowd to go see him. He's everywhere all the time. And it would be really good for us if we could kind of, I know Luke's been talking about this all year, if like we could get that kind of sunk into not just our mind in a way that we understand it, but into our heart where it's real. Like the unseen Jesus is right here with his arm around me right now. You know what I mean? Like he's pushing out the words. He's guiding this sermon. Let's hope no one needs to hear from me. But he's, these obstacles that we want to push out of the way, and hey, sometimes maybe that's what we need to do, but Jesus is at work with us. Jesus is at school with you. Jesus is on that sports team. He's with those neighbors. He's in that neighborhood. He's with your family. He's there. Help me to try to remember that. I mentioned really briefly that Jesus, in the beginning of Mark, he announces the good news. Like one of the things he does is says, This is the gospel, the kingdom of God is near. That's good news. It's not just good news. It should be the best news that we've ever heard ever in our lives and that we're ever going to hear. He didn't say, 
Just so you guys know, when I die on a cross, then when you die, you get to go to heaven too and we'll be together then. I'm not saying that's not true and that that's not going to be awesome. I don't really comprehend what heaven is going to be like. As much as you can read about it in scripture, it's still very mysterious to me. What I know is that Jesus is here now too and his kingdom has started to be established on earth right now and he invites us to be in that kingdom with him. We are the Jesus' closest friends. We have access to the king. So how does Jesus approach this crowd? Whoa. Uh, Jesus approaches the crowds with a ton of compassion. Over and over and over again throughout the Gospels, even in just the few, first few chapters of Mark, we see Jesus having compassion on these crowds of people healing many of them of illness, of disease, curing leprosy, casting out demons, giving sight to the blind, taking the time to heal the hand, one shriveled hand of one man. And yes, I know that Jesus used that man as an example that day, but he could have looked at that guy and said, you have a, a different hand, you'll be fine. Just keep going with your one shriveled hand. But he didn't, he stops, he cares. He attends to our needs. Jesus didn't look at those crowds and go, this is going to be a waste of time. I'm on a mission here. I don't have time for all these people. Let's get rid of them. And those kids that keep running up to me, disciples, make sure that we keep them just at bay. That's exactly the opposite of what Jesus did with children, right? It was the disciples that were like, come on now, Jesus is important. He's got a lot of important things to do. And Jesus was like, don't you ever stop them from coming to get close to me. The crowds were not a waste of time. They were not an inconvenience. The crowds were Jesus' mission. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, he said. It's the sick. The third crowd and how they approach Jesus or group of people are the disciples. Let's look at the last uh, couple verses for the day. Um, 13 through 15 in chapter 3 says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and he called to him those he wanted and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him and that, they, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. This is where it gets really simple, like short and sweet and really difficult. How the disciples approached Jesus was this. He called, they followed. Period. End of sentence. Like, we know the stories of him walking along the shore and meeting the fishermen. Maybe they knew him, maybe they didn't. But he's like, you guys who are fishing, stop fishing. I'm going to show you how to fish for men. Come and follow me. Anyone remember what they did? Immediately, they dropped their nets. They stopped what they were doing. They followed Jesus. Jesus is walking through town. He sees Levi slash Matthew, same guy. The tax collector says, hey, Levi, come follow me. Levi doesn't go, I get off at five. Where should I meet you? He stops. 
I don't know how much trouble a tax collector would have gotten in for just leaving their tax collection booth, but he does. He just drops everything and follows Jesus. The scripture here says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He calls, we follow. That's discipleship. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It's in Mark and it's in several points in Scripture. And it's a short answer, but that's what real commitment to Jesus looks like. If I'm at work, if I'm doing something fun or if I'm doing something important, even I'm just hanging out with some friends. If Lisa, Lisa's my wife, for those of you that don't know, if Lisa calls me and says, I want you to do something for me, it's important, and I want you to do it right now. I am going to drop everything, listen to what it is that she has for me to do, and go do it. That's what commitment looks like. It's not like she's calling me for something unimportant. If it's frivolous, I get a text message. If she calls me, for those younger people in the room, calling is when you use your phone. <laughs> you talk in one end and you listen on the other end. Seriously, if she calls and says, this is important, I really want you to do it, I'm going to drop everything because that's the kind of relationship that we have. That's the commitment that I've made to her. That's the kind of commitment that Jesus is hoping for from his disciples. That's the kind of commitment, frankly, Jesus is expecting from his disciples, including us. That when he calls, that we drop everything or deny ourselves, right? Whatever I had going on that I thought was important for that moment is no longer important because Jesus just called. Deny myself. Secondly, he wants us to listen in to what he's doing and then do what he's asking us to do. Pick up our cross. Pick up your cross daily, Scripture says. Okay, here's the honest look at that, right? What do we often do a lot of times at that point? I know Jesus is calling, but let me just figure out on my own if what he's calling about is important enough for me to drop what I'm doing and go do what he says. Maybe none of you do it. I do it. Sorry. I do it. I don't like it. It's not the relationship that Jesus calls me to, and I'm working towards following him. Always. I want to push and shove my way to get close to Jesus so that when he calls, and when he calls, it's important. Whether it's, hey, I want you to go speak for your neighbor, or hey, will you go get that person a glass of water? When Jesus calls, it's important. And we, you guys, we, we need to be more willing to listen in on that and to take action when he calls us to action. And here's the thing about that. We're not doing it alone. He's saying, Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. He 
He's already done it. He's already going there. He just wants us to come along. The scripture on the wall over here about therefore go and make disciples, before it gets to that verse right there, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples. Not, hey, you guys, I'm out of here. Good luck making disciples. No, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. Now I want you to use that authority in what you do and go make disciples. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. He's not calling us to do it alone either. How does Jesus approach those disciples? It says he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to send out demons. There's some things in here that are really subtle that if we don't hear them, if we read too fast, if we focus on the, on the wrong things or the bigger things, we miss what's truly important about how Jesus approaches his disciples. So look, look at those things for a second. Like Some big things there are, yeah, he might send out his disciples to preach and have authority to drive out demons. So preaching is a little nerve-wracking. Like, I've been doing this for seven years, and I still get a little nervous and a little worried, and it's not the public speaking aspect of that so much as it is the gravity of the message. You know, like, I do not want to screw up. I don't want to lead anyone astray. I don't want to be a heretic and pulled out of Whitestone and stoned in the parking lot. Like, those aren't things that I, I'm hoping to accomplish, right? So there's a, there's a little, like, understanding the responsibility of it is one thing, but then knowing this is the truth, that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and this is what he's calling us to do, us to do. Because I happen to be the guy standing up here right now, and usually it's Luke, and sometimes it's Nate, or Jake, or Mark, or Kirk, like, other people have opportunities, amazing opportunities to be able to stand up and, and preach messages this way, but we all preach every day. We all preach every day, whether you think you're preaching or not. Billy Graham said, we are the Bibles that the world is reading. The way that we live that out is preaching to everyone around us, your spouse, your kids, your extended family, your co-workers, people in your school, kids on your sports team, drama club, music. Wherever you spend your time, where there are other people around you, you are preaching. In fact, even when you are alone, you're preaching to yourself. So just because you're not up here doesn't mean that you're off the hook when it comes to that one. Here's what's awesome about all that. And I kind of hinted at it already, but the, like the most important thing about pushing and shoving our way to get to be with Jesus is what he says in this scripture really here. And, and, and if, we, if we, like I said before, if we read it too fast, if we don't see it, we miss it. He appointed 12 that they might, what? Be with him. 
He doesn't start out by saying he appointed 12 so that they could go preach and cast out demons. He appointed 12 so that they could be with him. The way that Jesus approached his disciples then and now is this amazingly sincere desire to be in a relationship with us. Like, not just companionship. It is companionship, but it's more. It's like communion. Jesus wants to commune with his disciples. When he prayed for his disciples, he even said, God, I pray that, Father, I pray that they will be just with one another so closely and that they will be in me just like I am in you. Like he, this is the first thing he wants. He wants us with him. Just to be with him. We miss that so often because we're doing things for him. Or we think we are. We got to remember to be with him. So the first group, the religious leaders in the first century, talked about the Pharisees, right? They approached Jesus at best, can we say, at best with criticism and at worst with contempt. How does Jesus respond to those people? It gives us a little insight into how we should respond to those people in our lives. Yes, he was angry, but where did that anger come from? That anger came from this deep concern for those guys. Like, he was concerned at the direction that they were heading. He was concerned about what they believed or didn't believe about him. He was deeply disturbed by their hardened hearts. And yet, he never turned his back on the disciples. He never avoided them. He never stopped meeting in places where they would be. He didn't try to, like, get away from them. In fact, he probably invited more conversations and questions from them, maybe from anyone else. Why do you think that is? Because he, he loves them. So much so that even at the end of his earthly life and his earthly ministry, Jesus said about those folks that criticized and had contempt and condemned him, forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. I know some people like the Pharisees, and I need the Holy Spirit (laughs) big time if I'm going to come anywhere close to how Jesus responded to them to just continue to be there, continue to hear their questions, maybe even continue to hear their criticism, but to be Jesus to those folks that are in that place. Then there were these crowds, these massive crowds of people that heard about all the things that Jesus was doing. And let's just say that some of them Maybe they understood this is the Messiah. This is the guy the Jews have been talking about. Here is God in flesh. Let's go meet him. Let's go get close to him. Let's let's learn about him. Let's go know Jesus. Likely, large amounts of people that were in those large crowds were showing up because Jesus was a celebrity of the day, right? I mean, all the times that he didn't necessarily want the word to get out, word was out. He was healing. 
He was casting out demons. He was stopping storms. Miracles were happening. And people were being healed of things that they had dealt with their whole lives. And so they were showing up and they were pushing and shoving to get close to Jesus. But likely they weren't pushing and shoving to get close to Jesus so that they could give something to him. They were looking to get something from Jesus. Again, we have people in our lives that are that way. They're lost, they're hurt, they're broken, they're needy. And maybe every time they show up on our doorstep, they need something. Every time they call us, it's for another loan. Like, we have these kind of folks in our lives, right? What was Jesus' response to the crowds of needy people? He had compassion on them. He cared for them. And he, and he went so far as to care for the things that they needed. And if we can figure out that not all those people were there because they believed in Jesus the way that we say it in church, he certainly knew that they weren't all there because they believed in him. It didn't stop him from helping them and from serving them. It's an interesting look. And that last group, the disciples. The way that followers approach Jesus is with a sincere commitment, this willingness to follow him, this willingness to be obedient to his call. And how does Jesus respond to his disciples? How does Jesus approach his disciples with this real, sincere desire for relationship? He wants to be in relationship with us in companionship with us, in communion with us. I think I said this earlier, like we are the king's closest friends and he wants us to be around him. That's amazing, amazing blessing, you guys. And our God and our king is glorious. And I love him and I thank him for loving me and I thank him for loving you. I didn't get Luke's permission to give homework, so if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But I promise, even if I preach again, I won't give any other homework. But seeing that it's the first day of a brand new year, I thought I'd introduce you guys to something that my wife and I started a few years ago. So we got this idea from a couple friends of ours who were like, we're done doing New Year's resolutions. We never live up to them anyway. Right? Like, I'm going to get skinny and be better looking. <laughs> okay? So instead of trying that stuff, what we've done is we have chosen a word with the help of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We've chosen one word. I think there's a couple people here that might know the same folks. Um, we've chosen one. We choose one word that will help us to look more like Jesus a year from now. And we just focus on one word really all year. Now, are you going to do it perfectly? No, but you know what? Don't expect to. You're not Jesus. Okay? But when we have, like, when we can have a narrow focus like that and just think about one, one word that continues to bring us back to, yeah, I want to do that so I can look more like Jesus on January 1st of 2018. And maybe you've heard a word today that already is like, that's, that's it for me. Maybe it's compassion. Maybe it's concern. Maybe it's communion. Maybe it's connection. Some words that I have 
tried to um, focus on the last few years for me are um, patience. That went okay. Um, <laughs> acceptance. And um, Lisa's not here in this service, so I can tell you that last year was listen. I got some work to do on listen. All right. But, you know, I tried. That's like those were the words in those years that I focused on to help me just look more like Jesus. And I did listen to Jesus more last year. I spent a lot more time listening to Jesus. Um, and this year, my word is serve. But I didn't come up with that and pick it out of the like, clear blue sky all on my own. I, I met with Jesus. I spoke with him and said, you know, give me something that can help me look more like you a year from today. So if you want to do it, that's your homework or something to try. Um, I want to share with you the end of a Psalm 139 because it's kind of a cool way maybe to embark on that conversation with God. It says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, God, lead us in the way everlasting. Give us just one thing this year to focus on that's going to draw us closer to you and help us to look more like you so that when we're out in the world preaching, people see more of you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for um, this Whitestone family that um, has become church family to Lisa and, and I. Thank you, um, God, for the opportunity to share your word with folks today, to share um, your message, your compassion, your understanding for people. Um, Lord, thank you so much that the thing that you want, the way that you approach us is to be with us. Um, help us to start there. God, help us to start there every day and live that out every moment of our lives, that, that you want us to be with you. Amen.